Welcome back to Startup for the Rest of Us. It's me, your host, Rob Walling. Thanks for joining me this week. This is episode 533 of the podcast. And today we're talking about life profitability after two exits with AD PNR. I give his full bio in a minute, but he is a multi-time founder with multiple exits under his belt. He has written a book called Life Profitability, A New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success. He has talked the talk and walked the walk. He's been a microconf speaker. He's a tiny seed mentor, and he has a lot of experience and success under his belt. And today we dig in to, you know, more the personal side, the life side of building a startup. A lot of what my wife, Sherry Walling, talks about on her podcast, Zen Founder. It's the startup, family, life, and the balance of those three things. And, and in this book, 80 looks a lot at how to make it all work. Before we dive into that, I wanted to remind you, in case you haven't checked it out, the MicroConf podcast. And every week we either release an episode of MicroConf On Air, which is our video live stream show. We release that in audio format, or we do MicroConf Refresh episodes where we go back to a previous MicroConf and we take the talk and pull the audio from it. And then I add an intro to it for context and we put that out on the feed. And we've had a lot of interest in this show. And if you haven't checked it out, just go to any podcatcher, search for MicroConf should be your number one result. And it's nice. I, I subscribe to it myself. And it's a fun reminder, even the talks that I saw in person, which I guess technically is all of them because I attended all the microcosts. But even those talks that I saw in person, it's nice to be reminded and refreshed on the topics and the ideas that are put forth. And it's a pretty low, it's a low investment because it's, it's audio. And of course, you can always click through in the show notes and, and watch the video if you do want to see the visuals. So MicroConf podcast, if you haven't checked it out already. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with AD PNR. Joining me today is AD PNR, the founder of WooThemes that later became WooCommerce and sold to Automatic, the parent company of WordPress, founder of Conversio, an e-commerce ESP that sold to Campaign Monitor in 2019. He's a multi-time MicroConf speaker, tiny seed mentor, tiny seed investor, and he's appeared on this show once before, episode 467, A Life-Changing Exit with ADP and R of Conversio. Sir, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, Rob, thanks for having me again. It's absolute pleasure to have you. You've written a book called Life Profitability, The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success. And if folks want to go check it out right now, it actually just dropped today, the day this episode goes live. It's at 80.me slash book. That's A-D-I-I. Dot me slash book. We will include that in the show notes. It should appear in the podcatcher, any podcatcher that you're using today. Coming out in Kindle and physical today. And then the audiobook is out in about six weeks. I have my uh, preview PDF copy right here. Thank you for sending that over. And I'm really fascinated with this concept of life profitability. And I want to dive in today to help flesh it out for startups for the rest of us listeners, because, you know, you've been to microconfs and you've, you've listened to this podcast, you hear the people that are in this community and you know that there's quite a bit of overlap with this idea of lifestyle, you know, or of work-life balance, which you address in the book and, and you kind of say, hey, work-life balance is not the answer. And, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but you're a founder with multiple exits under your belt. So why sit down and write a book about this topic? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, Rob. And I think for me, there's probably multiple answers to it as well. Um, I think if I were to give you the kind of the marketing pitch, you know, part of it is, I probably think that 
kind of in, in, in 2021 going forward, we need an augmented version of capitalism. I'm not <laughs> suggesting socialism or any other kind of model that we had. I'm not suggesting that capitalism itself is, is wrong, but I think that it's not always perfect. And I think with the, the notion of life profitability, I am trying to offer kind of entrepreneurs an opportunity to augment that version of capitalism, right? So I think that's part of what I would kind of that, um, you know, be the change you want to see in the world kind of, you know, spiel to this. That's really kind of that, what I hope for, for it kind of to happen after the book. For me personally, you know, I had much closer ties to the concept where, I mean, you mentioned that I've been a successful entrepreneur in the past. And what I know about that journey, and I think what kind of probably resonates with many of the Startups Risk of Us listeners here is the notion that it's really, really hard. You know, building a business is really, really, really hard. It doesn't matter how much you learn, doesn't matter how, kind of matter how much capital you have, experience, all of those things were really hard. And, you know, I've mentioned this a few times before to kind of in, in large parts, building my second business was harder than the first. So I know that kind of with more, it doesn't necessarily become easier. And in that kind of just that personal journey, I almost lost all the things that really mattered to me in the world. And that kind of notion played a big part in me, essentially sitting down and realizing that, hey, if I don't change something in my life, in my business, then kind of nothing that matters is going to be left, you know, after all this business or entrepreneurial success. It's interesting you say that. I mean, I heard you, you spoke at MicroConf Europe, I think it was, it was 2017 or 2018, and you were talking about your Conversio journey. And this was your basically second win. You know, you hadn't sold it yet, but it was a company that was growing. But most of the talk was focused on how bad you felt, <laughs> that you were burned out and that you weren't having fun. And I remember being surprised by that because I was thinking, it's your second time. We're usually better equipped with money, with resources, with the mental kind of capacity to know what's gone on and, and we're more resilient and all this stuff. So I'm curious, why why do you think Conversio was harder for you than, than the WooCommerce WooThemes days? That's probably one of the kind of questions that anyone can ask me about kind of the book and about conversion that I'm kind of have great clarity about. And I think the, you know, the context there is I, I can just add that to large extents, conversion was much easier due to the success I had with WooThemes, right? So uh, many of the tactical things were, you know, were easier. The harder parts were kind of all about me, right? It was the, the challenges and the issues I ultimately introduced into the kind of greater equation of building this business and the life I was leading. And the way I now understand that, which is very much a hindsight thing, is in the following way, which is I left WooThemes with this notion that I was a one-hit wonder. And I really wanted to challenge myself again, because challenges is what fires me. Money itself has never been a big motivator. Challenges are. And I wanted to challenge myself again and prove that I'm not a one-hit wonder and I can actually build another successful business. Interestingly enough, at least what I now know is I was only trying to prove myself to myself, which is ironic in its own right. Um, and it's part of being that awareness and what I've had to learn. But halfway through Conversio, what effectively happened was kind of two things overlaid. One, which was, these things happened very soon after each other. First thing that happened was Conversion got to a point where we were successful. I mean, I think we were, you know, probably at about one and a half million dollars ARR, for example. Um, and I felt to myself, hey, like you've built another you know, significant business, at least. I mean, it wasn't the size or scale of WooThemes WooCommerce, but it was successful in its own right, just about break even, growing nicely. And in that moment, that first 
the, the goal for being in this business of proving that I was a you know, kind of wanted wonder evaporated, right? And then shortly after that, just a you know, short couple of months after that, we hit kind of a rocky patch where I had to go through layoffs. Um, business was not growing as well, in the, kind of as well as we thought it was. Loads of context there. And then in that hard moment, what I realized was I suddenly didn't have that, that North Star, that meaning, that purpose in this business anymore because I'd done that. And that's like... That's where that became a grind. So you're referring to your microconf, I believe it was late 2018, if memory serves me correct, when I gave that talk. Like that was me going through that almost rejigging process of reframing the context that I was in. And again, like 2018 as a whole year, tactically within the business was all about taking a screwdriver to every single screw and trying to, you know, kind of eke out that 0.1 degree turn to make it a better business. It was a hard year. And that's, that was the context for, for that talk. That's why the overarching message there was that this was so much harder than it was before. Yeah, and for context, if folks haven't followed you in the past or, you know, didn't hear episode 467, when I listened to successful entrepreneurs talk about the world, a lot of them have a pretty unique viewpoint. And I often think of, say, like Jason Fried is like a founder advocate. Like he's always advocating for a cause, whether it's privacy or bootstrappers or whatever. And folks, uh, I've heard someone call me like a founder teacher, where I'm going to start companies and I'm always going to be teaching what I've learned. I think of you as like a founder philosopher. And frankly, you're a poet as well. You have a book of poetry folks can buy. What's that called? Yeah, it's called Motion. Yep, and we have we have a copy. Uh, Sherry bought it, and so I've I've read through it. So you're you are very much into mindfulness and and thinking about the self and being aware and seeking happiness. You're like a founder's body with a philosopher's mind, or maybe it's a philosopher's body with a founder's mind. There, there's some merging of those two in a way that, frankly, I don't have. And a lot of founders, especially maybe more left brain founders, I would say, like I am, more of an engineer, like. I can dip my toe into philosophy, I can listen to it, but I can't, I can't write it. You know, I don't come up with the concepts. And that's, that's how I feel as I read through Life Profitability is there's, there's a merging of entrepreneurship and, and philosophy almost. So with that as an intro, like, can you just explain, I mean, the title of the book again is Life Profitability, The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success. Can you just give folks a, an idea or an intro of what life profitability is? Because it's a term that you coined. Yeah, uh, by the way, and I totally own, and I know you have a cooldown period on domains, um, but totally, t- <laughs> t- totally proud that I actually own lifeprofitability.com as well, which, which confirms that I've coined the term, right? So, so jokes aside, idea of life probably essentially comes from, I think, firstly, this notion of, I don't think we work to live and neither do we live to work. I also don't think, and you mentioned work-life balance earlier, I also don't believe that that can exist when work is always just part of life. And when viewed from that lens, the idea of life profitability is all around, if you're an entrepreneur, right, you should build your business in a way that is profitable to your life, right? So that's where life profitability comes from. And that profitability needs to be more than just the, literally the financial kind of distributions, whether it's salary or otherwise, that you get from your business. It truly needs to be ingrained in like your whole life. And the book kind of you know, goes through what those various parts of life is, I essentially came down to, for me at least, and what we propose in the book is these concentric circles that starts with you first, then kind of your immediate family, your team, your kind of your community, and only thereafter the business itself actually becomes a almost a container for all those things, right? But really looking at all of those kinds of things in detail and saying, how 
are the things that I'm doing on a daily basis, whether it's for my business or just a professional career. But how are those things profitable for the things that I truly value in this world? And the converse of that, which I think people often don't recognize, is the cost of doing those things. And, you know, Henry Thoreau, the actual philosopher here, he has this great quote, and I'm totally going to butcher it, but he essentially says, like, the cost of anything we do is life. Like, that is the thing, like, we ultimately give away. Like, whenever we make a decision to do something, the cost of that decision is life. So really kind of, and again, like through that lens, like augmenting how you would calculate profitability in a business as well, but really saying, you know, what are the the costs of me doing business here? And trying to reframe that and figuring out like how not necessarily change that altogether, but make those incremental changes to shift to greater life profitability. So I'd like to get into like a, a specific example of maybe a decision or decisions you made to move towards life profitability in your own journey. But first, I want to talk about work-life balance and why in your book you point out that's not the solution, that that what you're talking about, life profitability, is different than work-life balance. Can you give folks an idea of of how that works? Yeah. So I think the simple kind of version there, Rob, is if we propose this idea of work-life balance, we're essentially saying that work and life are two kind of opposite things that can balance each other out i.e. there are two kind of nodes on the same spectrum and for you to have balance there needs to be some interplay between those two things and the reason I don't think that works is you're essentially taking two things and you're saying that they're completely independent of each other I think what all kind of people listening to this podcast knows that if you have a crappy day at work that spills over into your home life and vice versa, which means that these things are never totally separate. If they were totally separate, totally independent, then yes, I think work-life kind of balance, you know, is achievable, right? But because those things are always kind of, there's always overlaps, there's always kind of, you know, some spilling over of things, right? I don't think that's the key there, which is why, like I try, you know, with the book, try and change that perspective, which I said is all around work just being part of life. Life is the ultimate thing that we're doing here, you know, on this planet. So, and work is always just a component thereof versus this totally separate thing from the lives we're leading. Got it. And can you give us an example of a choice you made that was basically moving towards this idea? You have life profitability in your own experience with Conversio. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that kind of 2018, that tough tactical year we had in Conversio where we essentially had to kind of, we had to move to vast, I wouldn't say vast, but um, to profitability pretty quickly and uh, do so on a shoestring budget effectively. After the layoffs we had, and I remember that kind of towards the latter stages of that year, I was ultimately able to do kind of two things. One, which was, repay part of the initial founder loan that I had put into the business. And the other was essentially declare a small kind of you know, profit sharing bonus you know, for the team. And those two things matter for kind of two separate reasons. The team, I think, is, is, is more obvious and easier to explain, which is all around, you know, kind of building a business in a way that doesn't just support or empower my life profitability as the founder entrepreneur, but also doing that at least in part for my team members. But that's Repayment of, of, of the loan, which seems very converse to this idea of building and reinvesting or investing in a business, was crucially important to me because what it did was it diversified some of my risk in the business. It reduced a lot of stress that I had. And I think what subsequently happens is an entrepreneur and a founder that's not stressed, that's not anxious, 
in their life, right, is ultimately a better entrepreneur and leader within a team as well. That's just one of those things that comes to mind, Rob, because and I said, I think that the reason why that example came to mind here was all around what, kind of how it served two separate groups of people, myself, the team, and then kind of almost did that in an almost inception-like, meta-like, you know, exponential manner as well by helping me be a better calmer, you know, more peaceful or more grounded entrepreneur and leader to the team afterwards. What you've described is a decision that I think a lot of of lifestyle entrepreneurs make. And I use that term as a positive. You know, I know Silicon Valley venture capitalists say, oh, you just have a lifestyle business. It's unfundable by us. I, of course, being involved with Microsoft started for the rest of us for a decade or more, think lifestyle businesses are amazing. And one of the great pieces of that type of business is you're in control, you make the decisions, and you can pull out profits when you want. You can really drive the business in a way that that fits you, but that that helps benefit the team and your customers. And you can make the quote-unquote right decision in your opinion. Because if you truly haven't raised investment or have really just raised a small round from people who are willing to you know go with you on the journey, you have immense control and you can make you can make the decisions that you feel right about and you feel good about. Is there a difference between the traditional, you know, kind of bootstrap lifestyle business path and what you're talking about with life profitability? No, I think there's very much a kind of alignment there, Robin. I mean, I think the, the, the context there is that I am mostly a bootstrapped founder as well, right? I mean, within just completely bootstrapped, conversion raised a single round um, before moving to profitability. And I think to a large extent that this whole idea of kind of, you know, being an entrepreneur, I think stems from, you know, one's desire for freedom, freedom, like how, in whatever way you articulate that freedom, whether it's freedom to work in the way you want, work with whom you want, work on what you want, right? And it stems from that freedom. And I think there is that self-expression in that, which essentially says you can build the life you want, right? Which is, I think, where the, the term lifestyle business comes into play, right? I'll build a business to have the lifestyle that I want instead of being in a corporate gig where I can't control those things. I think the only thing that I'm almost trying to emphasize with life profitability is to truly understand what the things are you really want, what the things are you really value, and to not define those things by traditional measures of success, right? And actually expanding what that success actually looks like for you and replacing it with this idea of life profitability. Because the key part for me there is really doubling down on that original starting point, which was all around, hey, I'm starting this business because I have a vision of my future that I want to achieve, right? Which means that my version of what success looks like for me will always be very, very unique. And Compared to other entrepreneurs, there will be many similarities, especially if all of us are bootstrapped, for example. But I, for example, don't think that kind of the, the source of capital is the biggest differentiating factor there. I really think that our unique personalities probably changes that equation significantly more than source of capital does. Yes, yes. I, I have had this conversation so many times where the fact we can say bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped versus venture funded. And you're right. You can be a bootstrap founder and run yourself into the ground and, and work 90 hour weeks. I've seen folks raise 20, 30 million dollars of venture capital and work eight hour days. It, it happens like and, and be happy with their business. Now, eventually, you know, they have to perform and everything has to go well. But you're right. The source of capital is really not how we should be defining these things. Unfortunately, I think we have fallen into kind of a dichotomy there. And so what I like about what you said about life profits versus 
lifestyle business is really figuring out what you as an individual value most. Because I'll tell you a short story. As we were building Drip, early days, it was going to be a nice little... I wanted it to do 40, 50, 60K a month. I wanted it to be this amazing lifestyle business that threw off a bunch of cash. And pretty soon we found we were in the midst of a huge shift in email marketing where there were the MailChimps and the Awebers and they were less expensive, no automation, no tagging. And then there were these really expensive solutions and we could kind of fit right there in the middle and be a nice usable version that had all the automations. So we dove headlong into that. Well, it threw us into a a really competitive space and it was harder than I thought it would be. It was a lot harder than I thought it would be actually. And I hadn't grown a business that grew that fast before and needing to hire and just the rat race you can get into. And so when you have pieces, segments of your book, I actually want to read an excerpt from it right here that kind of really captures, I think, what I was what I was feeling as we were going drip and as I was started feeling a little, little bit out of control. So you say, life profits. In a nutshell, realizing life profits means more lived abundance for every person the business touches. This is the vision, the mission, the strategy, and its outcome. A richer, more colorful life that is so much wider and deeper than a business will look different to every entrepreneur since it's based on what you value. Making more space for your life when you are used to feeling obligated... It's a big word there, obligated, because I felt that every day. Making more space for your life when you are used to feeling obligated to give your business your all might feel scary and daunting, but you're not going to make a drastic change to the way things are right now. It's important not to do a 180 degree turn here, but instead begin growing life profits by shifting the way you do things in incremental bits. Within business, there are rules and ethics that must be upheld, but you can play the game in a changed way by differently orienting yourself to it. You know, that's a big gamble and and it, it could be risky. But if you know what you value and you know the road you don't want to go down, it's almost a road to unhappiness if you let yourself get pulled. And this comes back to what you said earlier, which is don't value your success by the standard metrics, by what everyone else thinks is success, right? Yeah, exactly right. And I think you know, with the irony in all of that as Rob is I think... You know, many of us, I, I, I definitely, you know, have my my days where I still feel like an imposter, right? And I think what you know, kind of the the whole, you know, that imposter syndrome where it stems from is as soon as we like, and the entrepreneurial archetype lends itself to that, right? Because we're always comparing ourselves to other entrepreneurs and saying, Whew, okay, so my business is actually doing okay. Okay, I'm not an imposter, right? But you're essentially, you know, kind of in saying that you're an imposter in your own life, right? Because you're probably, you know, again, like you're neglecting, you know, those other life costs that are coming at the price of being this imposter, but at least matching up to these other entrepreneurs. And I think, you know, that's the that's the hardest part to figure out for every entrepreneur here, right? Is like, you know, who you really are and what that means for your business. And hence why I do not propose that anyone makes a 180 degree turn here. If you've got an existing business or a dream or a goal, like don't read the book and shift completely here, but really kind of start incrementally thinking about how you can shift that. And I think for for anyone reading the book, as I purposely went into writing the book and I didn't want to write, here's 10 steps to life profitability, because I don't believe that those 10 steps actually exist. I think all of us are so unique. And, you know, part of this journey is for us to figure this out ourselves. The book includes many ideas, you know, from my own experience, suggestions, etc., for you to help illuminate what those things could be. But I honestly don't believe that there's 
a single blueprint here. I also don't believe, by the way, that there's a single blueprint for you know being successful in business. But every year, 100 million copies or whatever of kind of you know business books you know, sell, proposing that they've got the answer for you. But life profitability, I don't think, is that because it's so super kind of personalized um, and unique to every single individual that wants to go down that path. Yeah, and something that I've I think mentally struggled with over the past few years as obviously I sold drip and moved on is the drip years, some of them were great. And then there were times that were just really tough, you know, much like, like you and pretty much all the founders we know who have, who have done these larger, these larger companies and had exits. There are some times that are very, very difficult and the journey is challenging. But for me, it was absolutely worth it. Like I don't regret making the decisions that we made to enter the really competitive space or to to go after a faster growing kind of market and to, to grow the business and to hire all that. I have no regrets, right? It turned out great. What I regret was that my mindset was not right. My mental game, like I, I often say more than half of being an entrepreneur is managing your own psychology. And I did a poor job of that at times. And that's what I regret. And that's where I think your book comes in is it's a level set. It's a looking internally. It's saying what is truly important to you, how to pull that out. You actually have worksheets and exercises in the in the back, almost like an appendix that's basically here are the steps to kind of try to pull these things out of you so that you do know what's important and that you are grounded as you do this journey, because the journey is going to be hard, kind of no matter what, unless you get really, really lucky, there's just going to be trying times, there's going to be things like lawsuits, or all your servers get hacked, or Russian, you know, spammers get in your system and send things out, or there's just things are going to happen, it's going to be stressful. And at a certain point, you're going to say, well, I guess we had a good run, this whole thing's about to collapse. And it's going to be very, very stressful. Maybe you almost run out of cash. I've almost done that. You've almost done that. A lot of all this stuff is going to happen. The difference I see in founders who kind of keep their wits about them, it's not that bad things don't happen. It's that they have that inner groundedness of really knowing what they're about and knowing where they're headed with their business and the confidence that, hey, this is this is just the way it goes. And that's where I feel like your book comes in is it's a way to find that that groundedness for yourself. So as you go about this journey, you almost have that armor to these events that are going to happen to you. And and that's definitely my hope here, Rob, because I, I'm definitely pro-entrepreneur. Like I I do not want to discourage anyone from being an entrepreneur. I really just want to, you know, help them figure out what that kind of what entrepreneurship means for them, right? And I think like two things that kind of you know just stood out in what you said there. I think the first is yes, you know, we're grounded when we understand our meaning and when we can pursue our meaning. So in those hard times, when we know what our meaning is, our purpose here it's slightly easier to navigate those hard times, right? And, it, and the best way I, I ever understood that was Dr. Dina Gluberman. She wrote a book, I think the book is called uh, The Joy of Burnout. And she defines burnout as the thing that happens when meaning drains out of the structures that you've invested a lot in, right? And that, I think that's what sometimes happens in business is this thing that we invest so much in and then suddenly we lose meaning. And when we lose that meaning, that's when it becomes harder than it probably needs to be. And that's like that speaks to your point of that mindset, managing your psychology as an entrepreneur, right? That's the first part of it. The second part that I would just kind of leave with listeners here is that, 
when I have a bad day as an entrepreneur or a bad week where I struggle with my mindset, with the kind of the mental or emotional part of being an entrepreneur, what happens after that? Like, where am I taking that energy elsewhere in my life and probably affecting other things, whether it's the people I love most around me, you know, maybe more irritated or impatient than I normally am, right, with them or short, or am I neglecting my sleep my health in other ways, exercise or connection with friends, whatever the case is, right? And I think that's just, we're not aware of those things. So even if you were to navigate just your personal experience, there's probably kind of others around us or other things, those life costs that accumulate as well if we don't kind of you know, manage to essentially build a business, run a business, be an entrepreneur in a way that is life profitable. So you've been through two challenging journeys, WooThemes, WooCommerce, and Conversio. And something that I told my wife, Sherry, as Drip was, I don't even remember if it was winding up, it was kind of when we'd hit really hard times as I told her, I'm never doing this again. Like, I'm, I'm not starting another SaaS app. This, this is less fun than I want it to be now. In retrospect, it wasn't that it was less fun. It was that I didn't have my, my mental set together to really play it out the way I want it. You know, I should have. But all that said, I moved on from Drip and took six months off and then started Tiny Seed. And there was a lot of thinking that goes into that. And I'm interested in sharing that with the listeners here. But what I want to hear from you is you did go and start another SaaS app. It's called Cogsy, C-O-G-S-Y. The H1 is never run out of stock for your best-selling products ever again. And it's aimed at e-commerce merchants. You've obviously had experience and, and success in the e-commerce space, both with WooCommerce and with Conversio. I'd love to hear your, your thought process post-Conversio as you're thinking, okay, here I am. I've, I've had exits. You can work on whatever you want to work on. You could not start anything. And you told me offline, you could become a coach. You could become an author speaker. You could be a full-time investor. You kind of do what you want. So what was that process like for you to say, who am I? What do I really value? And I really want to get back in the trenches. I mean, I think what you said, Rob, is firstly, you know, my wife, Jean, so she had the opposite or not opposite reaction, but like she has always known that I will have, like, I will probably be doing this again and again. Like she and I were sitting earlier having a glass of wine and she told me she knows that Cogsy is not the last one, right? So um, I at least have, like, that knowledge is part of our everyday life, which is I I'm an entrepreneur and I will do these things, right? But many other my friends have told me, um, you know, I chatted to, to you know, Mark and Magnus, my co-founders in Woo, the other day as well. Um, <laughs> and they, they chuckled at the fact that I'm doing this again. And they pretty much said the same thing, which is I'm crazy. I think for me, and when they said that, my answer was very simple. And it was like, I, I love the work. And it doesn't matter how hard it is sometimes. I mean, I, I went to great detail earlier um, in our conversation here explaining how tough Converger was at stages, right? And how a big part of that, that hardship essentially created this book as well. And I think for me, it, it really came down to knowing bigger parts of myself and the most prominent parts of why I decided to work on Cogsy was around, I like the starting phases of things and I like building a team. I, I, I really miss a team. I miss like post-acquisition, you know, after leaving Campaign Marcher. The thing I missed most 
is kind of the, my team. And those things are important parts of why I want to do this. You know, and again, like the other part of it is I hope that there's a part of this future with Cogsy that really kind of, I think, challenges my own life profitability, but also allows me to continuously evolve that because I've not got it totally figured out. You know, even as the, the author of the book, the, the, the guy that came up with the, this term, I've not got it figured out. And for me, Cogsy is that, you know, playground or blank canvas where I can take everything I've learned everything that I understand about myself and just reapply that in a new way and ultimately continue my evolution and my journey. And from my end, leaving Drip in 2018, and then I took six months off, I was looking around for something to keep me busy. I was hacking PHP on the weekends and tying into crypto APIs just to fool around with stuff. And, uh, you know, I I had a great time doing it. But I almost went down this path of basically walking away from everything, you know, from the podcast and microconf and, you know, whatever else, all the, all the brands, all the assets, just the world of startups and entrepreneurship. And I thought just for a brief moment, what if, you know, mental exercise, thought experiment, what would it look like for me to just exist in a completely different space? And I looked around and I realized, A, I don't want to build stuff from scratch because it just takes too long. So I have the means, I'm going to acquire something. And I actually got in a conversation with the owner of the the second largest website for tabletop games. And I was saying, hey, I think I want to, you know, buy this site. Talk to me about revenue. Talk, you know, talk to start, we started talking about his numbers and, and what it looks like to run the thing. And getting into the tabletop gaming space would be fun because it's a hobby and I do it with my kids and I really enjoy it. But what I realized within, honestly, within even weeks of, of thinking about this avenue is that I would be leaving behind a huge piece of myself, almost something that I'd taken for granted because I've done it for so long, right? I've been thinking about it for 20 or 30 years. I've always been enamored with entrepreneurship. I've been writing about it for 15. I've been podcasting about it for 10. Like it is a ma- this, is, this is the thread of my life. This is the through line. And I realize, you know, I value freedom, purpose, and relationships. You'll hear me talk about that a lot. I would have left behind a huge part of my purpose and a part of my legacy if I were to do that. And a part, freedom, purpose, and relationships. I love having relationships with founders. Uh, They're just super interesting people. I find them fascinating. And it was a thought that for a moment, like, oh, I could just start over and wouldn't it be easy? But I had to dive into myself. I had to be mindful. I had to know myself and know who I really was to say this startups, the rest of us, microconf, this, this community, this ecosystem, it was the moment that I doubled down on it and said, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. It's one of those things in my life that I don't think will ever go away now that I've had the moment to reassess and think for me, what is life profitability right now? It's not abandoning everything I've put into the world so far. Not that it wouldn't live on or whatever, but it's like, I I think there's such a big point and such a big part to asking yourself, what is it that I really want? And some people like you, you wanted to do another SaaS app and that's the path for a lot of founders. You see Ruben Gomez is on his second. You see David Cancel has done five of them, you know, and that's a path for some and others go more of the you know, the teaching route or the author route, you know, as you said, you could be a keynote speaker. Some people become investors. Some people gather folks and build communities. And I think figuring that out about yourself, is kind of the point of everything we're talking about here. Yeah, exactly. Well, because ultimately like 
in anyone's next steps here, you know, in, in my next steps, there's only going to be a single common denominator and that's going to be me, right? I mean, businesses can change, ideas can change, people get divorced, families change, people move countries, like all these things can change, but there's going to be a single person on that journey that's going to be omnipresent and it's going to be yourself. And I think that's why it's important to, to really know who you are, because that's how you can constantly adjust the next steps you're taking. And for me, maybe like Cogsia is my last SaaS app or last kind of, you know, software business that I build myself, right? Maybe there's a kind of a, a new chapter in future. And I think the idea of life profitability acknowledges that, whereas life evolves, life naturally evolves. That's the way the universe has always worked. And the key is just to stay in that mindfulness, stay aware of when those energies change, when the things you want change, when the definition of your life profits change, and then readjusting the kind of the next steps that you take from there. If folks want to check out the book, they can head to 80.me slash book. That's adii.me slash book. It is 99 cents this week on Kindle. And you have physical copies as well. And as I said earlier, it'll be out in audio in about six weeks. If folks want to keep up with what you're up to, you're 80 on Twitter. It's a great four-letter Twitter handle there. And as we were chatting, when you said lifeprofitability.com, I just typed it into the browser just for kicks. And you have a podcast. I didn't know you had a podcast, but we can, we can plug it here. Life Profitability Podcast. Is this the first podcast that you've hosted? Yes, it is. How are you enjoying it? I have my good days and I have my bad days, Rob. <laughs> yeah, very cool. So folks, uh, that's where to find 80. And thanks so much for coming on the show, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rob. Thanks again to 80 for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure talking with 80. I've known him for many years and have a lot of respect for what he's built. And thank you for joining me once again this week. I look forward to coming at you in your earbuds again next Tuesday morning.